as we've been singing, and as I was studying this week, I was thinking about this question. What are the pillars of your life? What are the pillars of your life? What are the things that hold up who you are, that hold up your family, that hold up life? What, you know, some of us will ask the question like, what, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Or what, what do you live for? Or maybe in our culture, the better question is, what's your passion? What's your passion? I don't know what that is, but I want it. <laughs> it's your passion. And we'll answer that in any number of ways, right? We'll answer that with work or job. We'll answer that with family. We'll even have kind of our own cultural slang for that, depending on where you come from, like God and guns, you know, or like, you don't even get me started on the political side of that, right? Like we could go down that rabbit trail and I refuse, but you know what I'm talking about. There are things that become part of who you are and whether you would write them out in your rule of life or whatever actually drives you and that you were going for, there really are things that make you, you. In our house, Kim and I have been married coming up this week for 13 years. Give her a hand. (laughs) She's a saint. (laughs) Trust me. She actually has four kids. I'm just the oldest, right? She puts up with me. But... In 13 years in, like, there are things that make coons coons, right? Like, we'll look at our, we'll look at our kids and we'll be like, coons don't do that. Or coons do this, right? Because some of them we don't want to blame on the Lord. <laughs> so we're not be like, you're a Christian, you should do that. Like, no, some, sometimes mom and dad just like, you're embarrassing us. So stop, right? Or, or that was incredible, like we loved that, right? And, and there, there are things that make the coons. And some of them are spiritual and some of them aren't. But they're what make us a family. We have pillars that support our life. And our life looks different than yours, and that's okay. But as we come, even if you're not a Christian today, or if you're watching online, or you're listening later, or you hear this, you stumble on this 10 years from now on YouTube or something, even if you're not a Christian, there are things that make you, you. You have pillars in your life that make you who you are. And as we come to the end of the book of Colossians and we finish out this book, what we've been looking at is what are these pillars of Christianity? Is it really relevant to your life in the 21st century United States of America? Think about some of the things that we've looked at. This won't be on the screen, but I want you to just hear some of these. You go back all the way to chapter 1, and I I tried to pick a verse from each chapter. Very difficult. I could have just read you the whole book again, and we could have stopped and been done. It's It's that awesome. But as I was thinking about way back when we started this in chapter 1, thought about verse 13 and 14. Just listen to this. Let it soak into your soul. It says, He, Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness. And that's not it. What's it say? It says He transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. 
And it's in him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. You're dismissed. <laughs> like, do you need anything more than that, right? Like, wow. God, right? Have you been watching these pictures come back from Mars? And it's just like, it's incredible. Like, you, you're like, that thing is, I don't even know what the math calculations are, but it's really far away. And it took a really long time to get there. And I'll never get there, right? Like, it, it's just, it's a completely different world, and yet it's nothing in the scope of what God has made. Process that. And then, and then it's, it's that God who made that thing that it took us thousands of years to even find. And now we're flying robots around on Mars. It was... That God who created the expanse of everything we are that says, no, 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 he came and he gave you his best and transferred you into his kingdom, the one, the kingdom of the son that he loves. What an amazing thing. That, that's a, that is the pillar of Christian life. When you look at it in the scope of that, like, you and I bring nothing to the table. Like, when you put it in context of that God, we just take Nehemiah's posture as he was praying before the Lord, and he said, you are the awe-inspiring God. Sometimes we just don't even have words to say what is reality about God. And so if you're if you're not a Christian like that's the whole thing. Like there's been a lot of expressions of that throughout history but those are human, right? Like this is it. If you're not a Christian like this is what I would invite you to. Rescue, redemption from you. And from the kingdom of this world, which if you've been paying attention at all for the last year and a half, isn't working. Even as we watch the news and we pray for peace in the Middle East, right? And as we watch that conflict that is thousands of years old, arguing over essentially this. And what God has given to his people and we pray for that, and we ought to, and yet it's beyond that, right? Like, there, there's, a, there's a God who sits on the throne of heaven, and so that's it. We've been transferred into that kingdom, and if you're not a Christian, can I just invite you to confess Jesus as Lord and surrender your life to him if he's calling you. You shouldn't move any farther than to... Settle that decision in your heart and mind and soul. So then we come to chapter 2, and I love the warning that we get, right? That as you are transferred into that kingdom, things change. Things change, and as you come to chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, Be careful, be careful that... No one takes you captive through philosophy 
an empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Even as our city will celebrate certain things and cancel others and do all the things that a fickled culture does when it doesn't have a Lord, we're told by Paul to be careful that we don't fall to that because it would be easy to fall to that, right? It would be easy to stand up and just go with the flow, but what you and I know and what we see even in culture is that the elements of the world, they're, they're even pitted against themselves. They can't even answer their own questions. And that's not a knock. It's just reality that, that the answers aren't out there. They're outside of us in Jesus. So we're called to be careful that we don't, be, that we don't get caught up in, captive to those elements. We pay attention to that. Rather than Christ. Huge. And then you come to chapter 3. And this just lofty language. right? It says. So if you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Right. We say. As often as we can. Vision up. Until you love God. Nothing else matters. Right. Until you have an encounter. A relationship. With a living God. The rest of it is just works. Things change when you meet him. Right? Because verse 3 of chapter 3 says, For you, and here's the crux of the matter, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. And you're literally, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so you are literally raised with Christ new. Right? That's what we say in Baptism over here is that you've been raised to walk in newness of life. Massive, important truth. And then last week we came to chapter 4 and verse 5. As you consider all of those things that we've looked at, here's what the encouragement is. Act wisely toward outsiders. Making the most of the time. Making the some translations will say, best use of time. Right? It governs a lot of the philosophy that we take here. In that as we disciple each other in city groups and growth track and regen and all those things that we do together, it's, it's so that we would stand mature in Christ, that we would step into the world and not have a bunch of Things that we call you to hear, but that you would do what Scripture says, that you would go into all the world and preach the gospel. Say, but I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. Every day of your life. So we don't have a ton of events here. We hope to encourage you here and then send you into the world to be who God's called you to be. Every day of your life, around all the people that you already have relationships with that need Jesus, that you would make the most of your time. Not that we would pull you away from those people to do things with other people that you may or may not ever see again. That's a philosophy choice at Redeemer City Church. That you would, right where God's called you, right where God's put you, that you would make disciples. 
Right? I love the story in Luke where Jesus equates the kingdom of God to a banquet. And he says, go out into the hedges and the highways and beg people. Compel people to come in so that my house will be full. That's the invitation. So we're making the most of our time. And then I love as the book ends, that the book ends really specifically about people, like real names and real people that really lived. Because I think we can also divorce scripture from life. We have to be reminded that there were real people who got this letter from Paul and it was huge in their life, in their thinking, in shaping how they would live in Christ. And at the end of this book, as he's talking to these real people, he gives us six things. There's probably more, but at least six that jump out about what are some of these pillars of us actually doing life together. Like when you are on Tuesday and life goes sideways, like what do you have built up in your life? What pillars are there in the church for you to lean on that are going to support your life? Because at the end of the day, ministry or the church is people. It's us. It's the commitment we make to each other in Christ that God has called us one body, one people. So as you come to the end of chapter 4, that's where he's at. And he's going to start naming names and talking about who they are. So look at it. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says this, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your heart. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. Not the Jesus. All right, you tracking? A different one. It's a common name. Not everyone was called Lord. <laughs> that was a separator. But he keeps going. He says in verse 11, uh, And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. I love this verse. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Heropolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, Demas, send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, neighboring city. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. 
And then I love this. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You're like, why did you read me all that? Because it's really important as Paul moves out of instructing them and he starts to write from his heart what spills out of his heart when he goes off the script, right? So up to this point, he's addressing very specific things that he's seeing in the culture there, that questions that they likely had asked him to write back to them about. It's the way it worked. But then as he gets to the end and he starts to talk to people, you get a glimpse into what all those other things earlier do and shape in you. Great way to think about that is if you are filled with the Spirit and somebody encounters you, what spills out of you onto them? It will be the Spirit. But if you are filled with the world or if you are empty and somebody bumps into you in the world, what spills out of you then? It's important for us to think about this. And so I look at this and I see who Paul is. Like what are the things that in the community of people here spills out of Paul? As he starts to think about the specific names, right? He's named a ton of them. What are the things that rise out of that about the way Paul interacts with them? Let me give you six things quickly and then I want to take communion as we end this series and we begin to look at the summer. Number one, if you're taking notes, is communication. Sounds obvious, right? But he's communicating with them about real people in specific things and specific ways. I love this. Just, just a few of them. Look at verse 8. It says, I've sent him to you for this purpose so that you may what? Know how we are. That's, that's important as you live your life that there are people in your life who actually know how you are. Think about the truth of that. If, if you don't have people around you who know you, you will self-destruct in no time. And no doubt you've had that experience. I have. If you don't take off the mask for somebody, you're in trouble. Can, can I encourage you to get in a city group for that reason alone? That, that you have to have people in your life that know you because... Down at the end, Paul's going to say, remember my chains, right? Like he's writing this from prison. And he needs people in his life who know him and pray for him and remember him. I love that confession, right? Remember me. Like, hey, remember me. Why do we pay attention and follow the persecuted church all across this world? Because those people need us to remember them. Why do we support Make Your Mark in Ethiopia as they take street kids off the street, live with them for a year, 
and then placed them back in their families. They, they reunited two boys again this week back with their families who had run away, gotten hooked on drugs, been trafficked, and they were rescued out of that. They met Jesus, and then they went back to their families. And to watch those parents hug their kids on Instagram is like, Ugh, more of that. Yes. Right? Because it's too easy for us to sit here and be comfy and to complain about our culture and our economy when people need rescue. Right? I love that. And so Paul's saying, hey, remember me. Right? The, the communication between God's people. Right? If, if you need help, tell somebody. We want to be there. The people sitting around you right now want to be there. And we could, we could unpack that a lot, but that's essentially what he's saying here. Number two, encouragement. Right? I, I love that confession too. In verse 8, it says, I've sent him for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and then what? That he would encourage your what? Your heart. Another way you could write that down is hope. Right? Hope. Without hope, it's not a lot to live for. Without hope, life can be really meaningless. And so, as we think about these pillars of our life, where does our hope come from? How would he encourage their hearts as Paul's sitting in prison, sending people to other people who are like, well, you're in prison for believing this. And I've seen what happens at the Colosseum to people who believe in this. And why should I? Because you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And it doesn't matter what happens to you in this life. That's worth it. There's hope there. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm sending him to you to encourage your heart, to give you hope in the gospel. I love that. Number three, maturity. Maturity. Right in verse 12 it says, Epaphras, who's the guy who planted this church that he's writing to, Epaphras, who is one of you. That's what he's saying. He's one of you. He came from you. He started your church. He's the one who brought the gospel to you. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And I love this. And he always wrestles for you in his prayer. Oh, don't you love that? We labor for a lot of things, don't we? You're working hard at your job. You're working hard at raising your family. You're working hard at any number of things. Maybe you're in school right now or whatever it is. You're working hard at all of those things. And yet, don't you just love this confession that Epaphras is laboring in his prayers for you so that you would present yourself, that you would stand mature. I love that. You need people in your life, your pastor, your pastor's, the elders of our church, who you may not even interact with a lot, but that you know are 
laboring, right? Epaphras has left, but he's never stopped laboring for them in his prayers. I want you to know that there's a group of people who at Redeemer City Church labor for you in our prayers. That like like that I'm thinking about you every day, praying for you, that you would be mature in Christ. The other word here that's used for that over and over again that Paul says is this guy, I'm sending this guy, he's faithful in the Lord. He's faithful. I pray that you would be faithful to the Lord every day of your life to right where he's called you. I've shared with you before, I love the quote when somebody asked Martin Luther, how does a Christian shoemaker honor Christ? He says, make good shoes, right? Because you are where God has called you. You're doing what God's called you to do. And now you do it with his eyes. You look with him at the people around you, right? We say, look up, love God. Look in. Let Christ look in for transformation, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as he transforms us, then we get to look with him and serve our city. It's huge. So that's what's happening, maturity. And then it's, it's very intentional here. The next one is diversity, right? Because he, he mentions very specifically that Epaphras is one of them. And then he says there's these two that are like me. So he's putting out their Jew and Gentile. And then he doesn't even mention the fact that Onesimus was a slave, right? And he was a slave that ran away, and Paul, there's a whole book of the Bible, it's real short, Philemon, where Paul addresses this and restores this guy back to his boss, and then he tells the boss, no, you love this guy like he's your son. I love that. Because what is true in Christ? What's Galatians tell us? That in Christ there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no slave, there is no male, there is no female. We're all one in Christ. And that's not to do away with diversity, but that's to celebrate God's creativity. Right? That God actually made all of us on purpose. And that's intentional. Right? And Ephesians tells us that we're made in Christ for good works because we're His workmanship. Created in Christ for good works. So all of those things wrap down into this and even the diversity that we share is important. And then verse 12, again, goes without saying, but where is he wrestling? Where is he laboring? What's he doing that in? He's doing it in prayer. We know that, but are we about that? Is prayer... A pillar of your life. This sermon's not as catchy as last one, but it's just as important. Right? Because all those things we've been studying, if they don't hold true in your life, if those pillars aren't actually part of your life, those others were just good talks. They don't actually make a difference in your life. And these are the confessions. Let me say to you this way you don't have time not to pray. You don't have time not to pray. 
to not invite God into everything that's happening, to wrestle in your prayers with God. Because as John said in John 15, apart from Christ, how much can we do? You've heard me say it a million times. How much? Nothing. Nothing. Not a little bit. Not a lot of it. Nothing. But here's the reality, and this is where I want to enter with you today and then take communion together. And we're going to sing with the band a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. Because what is an altar? It's a place of sacrifice, right? It's a place of sacrifice. As we go into communion, we're going to, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 10, and it's going to say this, Christian, flee idolatry. Right? If, you're, if you flee something, what, is, what does that look like? What does it look like to flee something? I saw this crazy video on the news last night. I'm sure you might have seen it, but uh, caught on camera was this was this like 12 year old girl getting abducted. I mean, it was on video. This guy runs across a field and grabs her, and you you see it, you see it, and she incredibly. I don't, I don't know. I don't listen to the whole story, but you see her break free. Because she, of course, like throws everything she's got at the guy. But then you see her break free, and what does she do? Talk to me. What does she do? She flees. <laughs> right? Like, that's what it, that's the picture here. Right? Like, as your pastor, like, the idols in your heart are so dangerous. They're so dangerous. You know, we'll call them bad habits, or we'll call them, well, I've got my vice. But no, 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 can, can we talk about what they are? They're idols, and they steal you away from the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, and the Giver of Life, and their lies. Satan's a liar. Because the very last one here that I want you to write down is love. Right, And Paul says this in every single book that he wrote in the Bible. Think about what he said to the Corinthians. Now faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. I love what he says here in verse 9. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and what? Dearly loved brother. He was, he was a slave, but, but we love this guy. No matter what your status is, rich, Homeless, black, white, brown, doesn't matter who you are, man, woman, in Christ, in the church, loved, loved.